Okay, let's get into the word for the day. As always, I appreciate you guys. One thing I want to say as we're entering into the word, I was feeling this as I was, as we were spending time in worship, but it's this idea of being hungry for God. I think we've lost that as a people. It's almost like we're very posh and we're very composed. You know, God is looking for a people who's hungry for him. One thing you learn about hunger is that hunger is not always something that's natural, meaning you know, a lot of my students don't eat breakfast. And I ask them, why don't you eat? And they say, because I'm not hungry. Well, hunger doesn't necessarily come like you have built yourself not to be hungry. So you can build yourself to be hungry. And that's a responsibility we have. Just I felt very clearly from God to say, we have to be hungry for God. And that is built. That's built by you spending time with him. So if you didn't know, we're doing a 15-minute challenge every day this month. Where out of, out of the seven days of the week, we want you to intentionally spend 15 uninterrupted minutes in God's presence. Meaning, put your phone away, tell whoever, your friend, your significant other, hey, I'm going, I need some time to be with God, and you go spend with Him. Even as I was doing it this week, it was interesting, on Tuesday morning I did it, and I was just like, what is the point of this? Like, nothing happens, you don't feel anything, but as the day was going on, I felt like God was revealing ideas to me, giving me, in, like, I don't know, motivation and energy, and it was this interesting thing that sometimes that Time with God is opening our hearts to receive from Him throughout the day. But because we haven't made ourselves hungry, we haven't dedicated that time, we don't. So all of it to say, be hungry for God. Join us in the challenge if you'd like. I haven't thought of a punishment yet. I don't want to put like money on the line. But I, I do think negative reinforcement or positive reinforcement helps because it's something that kind of you look forward to. So as I begin, even as I'm sharing the word, be hungry. Be hungry for the word in different ways. So let's get into the word for today. So we have a picture of this way, that way, and the other way. What do we have? This way, that way, and the other way. One of the things that I've understood about myself and how God uses me is that I, God has a way for us. And we get a choice whether we enter into his way or not. And, you know, so many times when I speak, I'm like, I'm always telling people things to do. If you notice my message, it's like, do this, do that. And sometimes I reflect and I look at other messages and I'm like, man, I'm not like them. I do things differently. But then I've learned this is who I am as, this is God's, the way God uses me. My calling is to show people a way. And it's the way that he's revealed to me, and our hope is as, he re as he's revealed to me, I'm just sharing with you guys. You know, our Father is so good, our God is so good, that he's like, he didn't make us and just leave us to be confused or, or lost in this world. You know, I was talking to one of my friends on Friday. He's a pediatrician. And I asked him, like, how is it being a pediatrician right now? And he's like, WebMD is the worst thing because everyone thinks they know better than me. Like, they'll come in with a diet, an idea, and I was like, hey, that would be terrible. I get that in a small way as a teacher. Some parents think they know better. But think about being a doctor. You go to school for four years, then you go to med school, then you go to residency, and someone looks up WebMD and they think they know more than you. But he was like, honestly, it's not that bad. You know what's worse than those parents? The parents who don't care. He says he's seen, I was like, what percentage? He's like, 5 to 10% of parents come in, they don't even care that their kid is sick. They just come because they know they don't want the kid to die. And so it made me think our God is so good that he didn't make us just to be here and confused. 
He offered us a way. And so as I begin today, I want to encourage you, do you want to enter his way or do you want to do your way? That's like an umbrella question that you, when you come to this church, you have to ask yourself, do you want to do it your way or do you want to do it his way? Because a lot of times when we do it our way, it just leads to stress and hardship. And it's not like his way is going to be perfectly easy. But as we enter, there's like a peace about his way. So we're getting into what we're going to be talking about. And the word we're going to be looking at is unity. What do we see a picture of up there? And I think unity is one of the most powerful forces in this world. Look at these ants, right? They couldn't get to the other leaf, so what do they do? They work together. They're literally putting their bodies on top of each other so they can get to the other leaf. Isn't that crazy? They don't say a single word to each other, yet they can work together. And because they work together, they are powerful. We recognize unity is a very powerful thing. I don't know if you saw uh, the Rangers had their parade this week. You know how many people went out to that? 500,000 people went out to Arlington to celebrate. When I hear that, I do not want to go there, right? That just sounds like stress, traffic, people yelling at me, I'm going to yell at people. Like, why do people like that? But why do people like that? That's true. But people who don't even watch the Rangers, they want to go out there. It's the city. It's like a vibe. You're with a bunch of people celebrating. It's such a vibe. Can you all agree with me? So it's the idea of unity, people coming together. You look in the Bible, there was a group of people who built a tower. This is the Tower of Babel. And in the Tower of Babel, it was a group of people who came together, and they were building a city up towards God. And they said, if we can do this by coming together Or God said, if they can do this by coming together, imagine what they can do. And so it just makes me think, if people can unify together, it is powerful. And yet, more than anything today, we have an isolated people. I do blame COVID a lot for this. I think COVID has made people, you know, Zoom meetings have made people, I don't want to talk to anyone anymore. You know what I mean? Like you go to the grocery store, people would rather go to the the cashier or the Self-checkout rather than the cashier because I don't want to talk to someone. I'd rather check out myself. We have become more and more isolated. And God is saying, you know, one of the things he offered for us is unity. Unity makes life more enjoyable. Unity in our families. You know, the more we go around and we talk to people, man, the more we learn. So many people are... Where the, where the family unit was supposed to be something so beautiful, it's so rough. People are not even like enjoying life together. They're just cohabitating. They don't talk to each other. I'm just like, what does that even mean? Something so beautiful as a family is crushed because there's no unity and people are just so isolated. Something as beautiful as church You know what I mean? Church is meant to be a place where we get to come together and worship God together. Right? And if we look at our churches, the Malayali Pentecostal churches, there's so much conflict, so much disorder. Then we go into American churches, which are like the bigger churches, and it's like people love going there because you can just go there and go home. You don't have to connect anyone. You can hide. I've heard people say this. I kind of like to hide in church. 
we have lost unity in every facet. And because of this, we're so weak. We are so weak as people. We're so lost. We have so many issues that we didn't have in years past. Anxiety and depression are so much more. But you know what it is? The enemy knows that when you can divide people, you can conquer people. When people are together, they're strong. When, when we open our lives together and come together to worship God, God moves. But we're so isolated now. I'm going to end with one more thing, and then we'll get into the question. So the crazy part is, you know who knows how to be unified? The enemy, right? You look at, you look at the man who had a thousand de- thousands of demons in him, right? Legion. T.D. Jakes said this point, and I can't steal it. He said this. Think about this. If, Christian, if there was a thousand Christians in one person, people would be like, no, I want to be the head. I want to be in charge. But what did the demons do? They all knew how to work together with each other. They all worked together to subjugate. So it made me think the enemy knows unity. And that's why the enemy is so powerful in many ways. So I want to ask you guys, you know, I hope this is the way of God. I'm asking you, do you want to enter his way, which is a way of unity? And when we enter his way, there's life, there's strength, there's so much more. So I ask you the question, what are the important ingredients of unity? This is what we're going to get to think about together. What are the important ingredients of unity? So as always, we're going to let the word of God guide us because he offers us a way. And Marvin kind of nailed it on the head today. This is where I'll be going. But it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so what do we recognize is what unifies people together? I think it's the idea of humility. Like, that's the key ingredient that I'm going to be talking about today. Obviously, there's so many things like selflessness and working together. But I think the biggest thing is if people can be humble together, they can be unified together. You know, it's crazy. The second pride enters any relationship, it crumbles the relationship. There is a marriage counselor. His name is John Gottman. He's one of the leading uh, marriage counselors in America. He's, he has a book, Seven Prim- Principles for a Healthy Marriage. You should look into it. It's a really good one. And he says, he, he does marriage counseling for people. And he says, within 15 minutes of counseling a couple, he can determine if they will get divorced or not. And he said it was within 85% accuracy. And they were like, how can you figure out in 15 minutes? And guess what? It wasn't how much money they made. It wasn't how they talked to each other. He said, if one person thought they were better than the other person, the marriage was going to fail. Pride ruins any relationship. So what does that mean? What does pride look like and what does humility look like? I have a picture that would kind of give us some guide. So take a second and read through that. I have a few things on the picture. Um, well, actually, I'll read it so those online can hear it as well. So arrogance and pride is on one side. The other side said humility. Here's what arrogance looks like. Arrogance is fault-proof. Arrogance doesn't listen. 
Arrogance interrupts. Arrogance wants to be right. Arrogance doesn't see differently than their viewpoint. Arrogance pushes their point through. Arrogance shows frustration soon. Arrogance avoids accountability. And arrogance creates a fear culture. This is what arrogance is. Humility, on the other hand, admits when they make a mistake. They listen to understand. They give space. They have an open mind. They embrace differences. They allow ideas to emerge. They demonstrate patience. They take ownership and they build a learning culture. So just for a moment so that I'm not just talking, what do you think sticks out to you? Anything on that list that you're like, man, that, that's interesting. So anyways, let, let's continue. We're going to look at the text to see, but I just wanted to define humility. And for me, humility is not thinking of one's self higher than they ought to. Not thinking of yourself higher than you ought to. What does that mean? When some people hear the word humble, they are, they're so low. They're like, I'm not valuable. I don't mean anything to anyone. And so they, they get walked all over. I don't think humility is that. I think humility understands I'm loved by God, so there's a worth that I have, but I don't have to fight for my worth. No one can take any worth outside of me because God has given me worth. You look at every example of Jesus humbling himself. You know, in the, in the example of Jesus washing the feet, in jo- this is John chapter 13. And in that it says, God, Jesus knew that God had put everything under his power. And as a result of that, he got down, took off his clothes, and began to wash their feet. When you have an understanding of yourself, humility is not like, hmm, like I'm no one. You know what I mean? You're not like walking around like this beat up flower. It's this strength. It's the strength inside of you that God loves me. You can't take that away from me, but I'm not going to fight the fight that you're fighting. Like you're going to fight by being loud to me. I'm not going to fight that way. I'm going to be okay. God, you're not taking anything away from me. So understand, humility is having just this honest perspective of ourself. Not too low, not too high, where God has you. We're going to look at the text to look at a few ways Jesus showed humility. So the first phrase says, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So what do we recognize of what humility looks like? How are we able to be humble? Just looking at those two lines, how are we able to be humble? Humility is letting go of your rights. Many times when we argue and when we fight, We think in our minds, this is justified. I have a right to talk this way, act this way, not forgive the person. And humility says, if we look at the life of Jesus, I let go of my right. He was equal with God, yet he didn't use it to his advantage. You understand who Jesus was. He was God. And yet, you know, he didn't come to be served, but to serve. Isn't that amazing? He gave up every advantage that he had, every right that he had, he gave it up. 
But it's crazy because we want to hold to whatever right we have. I remember, it's, it's, so it's interesting, as I speak these things, you know, humility is a big one for me. I try to be that. I don't always do that. I apologize if I've not been humbled towards you, but it's something that I try. And I was preaching it at a church once, and it's always funny people's reactions. One of the pastors, after the meeting, came up to me, and he, you know, this was in an Indian church, and he told me, Sam, you can't be humble as a pastor. And I was like, what? What do you mean? Our Savior was like, he's like, no, like, people will walk all over you. You have to have a little bit of pride inside of yourself. I was like, what kind of, like, I'm just preaching what the Word says. And in his mind, he's reached a certain level of pastor, so people have to almost look to me in a certain way and treat me in a certain way. Whenever we level up, we hold on to certain rights that we have, and we think people need to fall in line. Yet we look at the life of Jesus, and he says, whatever right you have, if you want to be humble, let it go. And if you're willing to let it go, it starts with the question, it's entering into the way of unity. When you let go of your right, you can connect with people. You can connect with the church. But if it's always your way and your rights, it won't work out. So I want to encourage you, the first step towards humility is letting go of some of the rights and the things that you have that you're holding against people. You know, um, I, I was looking at Jesus, you know, when they came to arrest him. And Peter pulled out a sword and cut off someone's ear. And Jesus says, don't you know that in, verse, in Matthew 26, verse 53, he said, don't you know that I could ask my father and he would at once send me more than 12 armies of angels? But then how could the words of those scriptures come true which say, this must happen? So it's interesting. He had every right. He had every power, yet he let it go. So in your day-to-day -day life, when you have a right, when you have a place where you can exert some power, let it go. Be an image of Jesus. So I ask you two questions. Are there any relationships that could be restored and unified in your own life by letting go of some of the rights you're holding on to? Whether it's in your, in your own personal friendships, in your home, maybe it's even amongst your siblings or family. Are there some things that you could let go of to bring unity? Now we're looking at church. Could you unite with God and others better by, by committing to a church and pouring into the church, even though it's your right not to be involved? You know, so many people since COVID, they're just hands off with church. That's your right. You, no one is making you. But you can let go of your right and say, let me pour in more. Let me give more just like Jesus did. I'm going to just say a quick story and then I'll go to the last point. So, you know, I've been going on walks now for four years because I've had Archie. And it's been interesting as I go on walks, you know, I tried to go meet all of my neighbors to try to love my neighbor as myself. And no one ever wanted to talk to me. <laughs> I would go and like knock in the door with like a cake or something and be like, hey, I just wanted to introduce myself like when I moved in. No one ever wanted my cake. They're like, oh, we don't eat sugar. You know, people don't trust like somebody else. So it made sense. But the second we got Archie, everyone like, like, would talk to me and have conversations, and it was wonderful. But there was one particular person, we would go on walks, and he was always kind of cold towards me. I'd be like, hey, Mike. I hope Mike doesn't hear this. But hey, Mike, how you doing? And Mike would be like, hey. I'd be like, how are you doing? Good. Just very short, did not have any interest in the conversation. But I kept trying. You know, I kept saying, you know, the, my right at that point is, 
He doesn't want to be in, engaged with me. Let me let that go. But I would just do a very, like just trying to be mindful of him, just a very short introduction. So a few times I would go, and then one time Heps came on my walk. And I'm walking, I'm going around the neighborhood, and I tried it again. Hey, Mike, how you doing? He said, good. Again, very short. And Heps was like, can you stop talking to him? Like as we passed his house, he's like, he does not want to talk to you. Leave the man alone. <laughs> so part of me is like, oh, man, like am I annoying him? I'm not trying to be annoying. I'm just trying to be humble and, you know, just say hi to somebody. Well, as, as time went on, you know, Mike, he slowly let his guard down, and he has become one of our most loyal advocates. He loves us in every way. Like, you know, when we had both of our kids, they both, uh, the wife knit us blankets, and they brought it over to our house. One day I, um, I, was, I got, like, the Teacher of the Year Award from Sunnyvale, and they po put it in my, in my yard like a billboard. And I was like, that's so embarrassing. So I took it down. <laughs> but in the matter of time that it was up for like an hour before I, because I felt bad. I didn't want them to come back and it was already down. So I left it there for an hour and then I took it. He had driven by and later that day he brought us a bag of cookies just saying congratulations on being the teacher of the year. And he was so beautiful. And to me I was like, man, my right was I could have ended the conversation and said I tried. But humility and the way of God wants unity. And so if we're willing to let our right go, there are beautiful experiences that you can have in your life. Even to the person that you think is so cold, not even worth having a relationship, there can be some beautiful moments. So the first thing I want to encourage you, just like Jesus, let go of your rights. The second thing I want to encourage, and then we'll end with for today, is that humility is conquered in obedience. What did it say? Humility is conquered in obedience. You know, it says in the last part, and being found in human appearance, can we read these last three lines together? It's the last three lines on the bottom. It said what? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what did Jesus do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. One of the things I wanted to like maybe just encourage you in this process is that this is not an easy process. When you humble yourself, it is breaking some parts of you that you want to hold on to. And this is why the word obedience is important. Because obedience is, it doesn't matter what you feel, it doesn't matter what you think, it doesn't make sense. You are just obedient to what God has called of you. Because as Arlie said, this is a process. You know, when we were looking at the, the graph, there was like pictures of arrogance, there's pictures of humility, and it's like we want to continue to work on ourselves. You see the verse that says, he humbled himself. It was a process. It's a verb. He was becoming obedient. It's not like he had reached a state. He was becoming obedient. Here's the hard part. You will never, in your lifetime, you will never fully reach humility. And honestly, as I get older, humility becomes harder. Because you think you know more when you get older. So it is becoming obedient to death. And if you're struggling with that, look to Jesus. He did the hardest thing. He went to the cross on our behalf. He humbled himself on our behalf. You know, I, you know in verse Matthew 26, verse 42, we see for, verse 26, verse 42, we see Jesus in the garden. And Jesus is praying to his father and he says, 
my father, if there's no other way and I must suffer, I will still do what you want. And you see that Jesus is torn. He wants to be humble. He wants to be obedient. But it's so hard. And in the midst of that, we're going to jump down to verse 45. Jesus returned to his disciples and he said, Are you still sleeping and resting? The time has come for me to be handed over to sinners. Get up. Let's go. The one who will betray me is already here. So what you see is in the midst of him not wanting to do it, he walks towards it. He walks towards the place that he knows he's called to go. And many times we feel like, okay, I know I should go forgive someone or I know I should reach out or I know I need to do this. But these thoughts come in and then we stop. You need to go towards him. And this is not just by our effort. Just like Jesus was in deep prayer, you say, God, I can't do this. But with your grace, I can. But it's hard. It's really hard. I'll give you another story of this. You know, um, as I've been to churches, again, it's interesting how people will come to me with their issues. After I get done with the sermon, people will just come and like throw their life at me and like share, like, can you pray for me? Can you give me wisdom? So this one particular day, this couple came to me in their 50s. And I'm like, they were having marital problems. And this is me like when I first got married. And I'm like, I don't know what wisdom to give, but I just listened. And they kind of like were talking about each other. And like, you know, my wife is this, my husband is this. And it was very difficult. And so I offered the suggestion, serve each other. Each day, wash each other's feet. Like, just do something radical to fix, like to bring some life in your marriage. And so the wife, I still remember this, was like, Sam, we're way past that stage. <laughs> That's not going to work in our marriage. And I was like, what? <laughs> Why are you already quitting? <laughs> it's not over. You're still alive. But the thing you learn about humility is it's sometimes God is calling you to the hardest thing sometimes. That's what humility is. You know you need to go do this, yet it can be so hard. So look to the example of Jesus. Look to the example of Jesus who said, even though it was hard, I'm going to walk towards it. I will, you know, because it's a process of crushing our ego. It's a process of saying no to myself and denying myself daily. So I... I wrote one more question for you to think about. What are some things that you don't like to do that you know you should do that could grow your humility? And maybe that's a relationship with somebody. Maybe it's going to talk to someone. Honestly, even in my home, one of the things that always challenged me is if there was a job in your house that you hate doing, do it. There's something about doing it that humbles you. I hate cleaning the toilet. And you know what's even worse than the toilet? The shower. I, I hate cleaning the shower. Like, why does it get so dirty? Water is there. Like, what is this coming from? So the way that I humble myself is I say, let me go clean it. Like, there are things that we can do in our process towards humbling ourselves. So I want to encourage you today that all of these things is about us entering into the way of God. You can choose my way, your way, or his way. He's offered us a way, and his way involves unity. And many times our unity is destroyed because of our pride. 
So I want to encourage you this very practical message. In our character, may we have the character of humility. What are the important ingredients of unity? I really do believe if we can become humble, God can begin to move. But we have to get on our knees.